And I have the pleasure of introducing our speaker for today. I'd like to introduce Sabrina. Would you please come forward? Uh, Sabrina is an associate regional director for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. For those of you who don't know, Urbana is sponsored by InterVarsity, so there's that connection there. Uh, she is married to a Kevin, and she has a 16-month-old. Uh, Sabrina used to be a computer engineer for two years. And then she became a staff worker for university for 15. And she was telling me just a few minutes ago that at first her parents were really crazy about the idea, but they kind of grew into it. I think that's a similar story for many, for many staff workers. Um, here's a very interesting thing about Sabrina. She, and she, I imagine you could share this at parties. It's really kind of an interesting thing. She knows how to ride a unicycle. Anyone else know how to ride? That's, that's pretty amazing. Maybe next time she comes, she can give us like a little demonstration. That would be interesting, right? In like the center aisle, back and forth. So without further ado, uh, Sabrina is going to come and start our Advent series. And really, uh, normally during Advent, we look at the characters in the nativity. This one is different as it should be different. Really, we're looking at the nativity stories, but we're asking the question, what do they tell us about God? And what better way to prepare our hearts than to focus on some sort of attribute of God as we look through these nativity scriptures. So I'm going to pray for Sabrina, and if you guys would stand, we're, and then we're going to get started. Lord God, would you please give us eyes to see? And I pray that you would open Sabrina's mouth and that she would be able to uh, teach us from your word and to show us the vision of your amazing heart. Lord, inspire us through your words and with a clear understanding of who you are and what you're like, give us open eyes to see. We pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's really good to be here with you on this sort of drizzly, gray morning. But we're thankful for the rain, right? Um, I moved here from Texas about five years ago. And it took me about a year and a half to get used to the gray, what I called the gray and the cold and the rain. Um, I moved here both for my job with InterVarsity and also to finish a degree at Fuller in, in Menlo Park. Um, so I was glad to have made the move, but initially was just really thrown off by, where's the sun? And why is it so cold? Um, and then the rain went away for a couple of years, it felt like. So I'm really grateful for the rain this morning. Um, and uh, just really glad to be here with you. Um, I understand you guys are starting off an Advent or Christmas series, and this week is Matthew 2, which you heard the first part of our passage earlier. I um, wanted to start by sharing a little bit with you just about the Gospels. So the Gospels, or the biographies of Jesus, right, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, they each have different themes, right? They each have their own sort of, this is what we're trying to communicate to you about Jesus, um, so the book of Matthew was written to the Jewish people um, in order to show Jesus as king and to show what his kingdom is like, right? So written to the Jewish people to show that Jesus is king and what the kingdom is like. That's why he uses so many Old Testament references. So if you're looking at Matthew 1 and 2, basically every section is linked to an Old Testament reference because he's trying to draw the connection um, between um, God who has revealed himself to the Jewish people and Jesus. Um, in this particular passage we're going to look at today, the references come from Micah, from Hosea, from Jeremiah. 
Um, he wants to show the Jewish people how Jesus is the one that's been predicted. Jesus is the one who fulfills all these prophecies. So Matthew's pretty interesting. Um, he spends very little time on Jesus' actual birth. If you look at the end of chapter 1, it's, it's really short. He doesn't use a lot of words. Um, to get, like, the full, long picture, you have to go to Luke 2, right, or, or Charlie Brown's Christmas special, which <laughs> is great. Um, he spends very little time on the actual story of, of Jesus' birth. He spends a lot of time on the genealogy, right? So-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so, because he's trying to draw the connection for the Jewish people. And he gives a lot of space to the story of the Magi, actually, if you're thinking about it. The story of the Magi takes up more space than the actual birth of Jesus in Matthew's account. Um, he's showing what the kingdom is like, right? And throughout the book, Matthew is also showing the Jesus, Jewish people how God is including the nations, right? Those who aren't Jews um, into his kingdom. So I think that's part of why he spends so long on this account about the Magi. Um, we'll talk more about the Magi in a second. Uh, look, let's work through the, the text this morning. Um, the first person we're introduced to, you know, after Jesus, it says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. He basically summarizes the last few sentences he wrote about that. Um, during the time of King Herod. So Herod, Herod is a terrible guy. <laughs> um, doing a little research on Herod, he had ten wives. He drowned his own brother. He murdered 45 Jewish rulers in Jerusalem, executed the high priest, his brother-in-law, his wife's servant, his sister's husband, and his mother-in-law. He dismissed his first wife, killed a second, and had three of his own sons murdered. Um, Caesar Augustus said of him, it is safer to be Herod's pig than his son. Um, pretty terrible guy. Um, he was very insecure about his kingdom, right? That's why he kept killing off all these people, um, people who didn't agree with him, people who could cause him trouble, sons who might be trying to take over his throne. Um, he was a terrible guy. And Matthew is sort of juxtaposing here, this is the world Jesus came into, right? And this is the kind of king that there was. But who is the king that Jesus is going to be? That's kind of, kind of what he's drawing out. So it says, after Jesus was born, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. So Magi, what, what does that really mean? Um, basically what people think that Magi really are is astrologers, which was very popular back then. Um, astrology was really popular. You'd look at the stars, look at the planets, see what's going on in the heavens, and that might give you a clue as to what's happening in the world. So they basically were kind of like astronomers, which is the science, right, studying the stars and seeing where they go. But the part that makes them astrologers, right, is that they would take that and use the interpretations for fortune telling, basically. Um, so a bit mystical, really common back then. Um, but what you need to know, too, about, oh, and, and astrologers were really well respected at the time um, in the East. But what you need to know, too, is that in the Old Testament, God says, hey, don't listen to astrologers. And they're not really um, something we want to pay attention to. He says to listen to true prophecy, true words from the Lord versus astrology, right? So in some ways, these magi are super unlikely to be hearing from God, right? God doesn't speak to astrologers. He doesn't speak to astrologers, does he? Well, he did here. Um, and they come to Jerusalem. They see a star. They recognize that it means something new coming. And so they want to come and honor this new king. So that's why they come to Jerusalem, right? It makes sense. It's the capital. And if there's going to be a new king, probably 
the old king knows about him, right? And, you know, hopefully is excited. Well, that's where they were wrong. They probably didn't know about Herod killing all of his, all these people and all, this, all his sons, several of his sons. Um, it says the whole city is troubled, or Herod and the whole city is troubled. It's likely that the Magi actually have a great entourage that makes it, you know, very noticeable when they show up, right? These foreign visitors are coming um, with gifts, and they dress different, they look different, they're probably um, bringing their gifts, um, kind of like a, a coming to visit a new, another kingdom, right? Um, so they're noticeable. So Herod gathers the chief priests and the teachers of the law to try and find out where the Messiah is to be born. Um, and they tell him, in Bethlehem and Judea, right? So if you're wondering why they're asking where the Messiah was to be born, it's because the Magi had asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? And from their response, it's obvious that that means something to Herod, right? King of the Jews. That's actually technically sort of his title, right? Herod's role, that's what he's supposed to be. Um, but they recognize that, oh, this is something bigger than that. Um, because they ask about the Messiah. So he recognizes this is a bigger power. Um, so th that's why then Matthew sort of says, oh, this is where they're connected to Bethlehem. This is how we know it's going to be Bethlehem. Um, and, you know, so they tell him Bethlehem. And then this, the story is interesting. It, get, it becomes all about secrecy. I had forgotten this from sort of remembering the story. It's all about secrecy because Herod calls the Magi to him secretly, right? Like sort of like back chamber negotiation type thing. Um, he wants to find out exactly when the star happened um, to see, like, how long has this been going on. And then he sends them on. He basically kind of commissions them as scouts to find out about this new king, right? Like, go find out about this new king and then come back and tell me so that I can go worship him too, you know? Like, yeah. And this is where I kind of think the Magi, great astrologers, they may be a little bit naive, right? Like, really? This guy's going to... But maybe, you know, they're so starstruck, that they just are excited, right? Um, so the star, right, then takes them to where Mary and baby Jesus are. Um, it's pretty amazing, I think, if you remember the connection between um, the people of Israel being led by a pillar of fire at night um, in the Exodus, uh, or a pillar of cloud. Here we see magi, astrologers, from Persia probably, from the east, um, being led just like the people of Israel were led with a supernatural light, right? A star here. And then if you can picture the scene with me, right? Magi from the east coming, probably dressed up, right? They have some really expensive gifts and they're worshiping the baby Jesus. Um, it actually, when I was studying this this week, it actually brought me to tears a little bit. Um, because here are people that every good Jew, every chief priest, scribe, they would say these people are outside the covenant. These people shouldn't be there, right? Astrology is not something we do. Um, these aren't even our people. Um, they're foreigners. And yet they're here. Um, God chose to reveal himself to them. God chose to reveal himself to someone that he had actually spoken against, in a sense. He had said, astrology is not something we do. 
but he's chosen to speak to them. And they get to come to worship at the feet of King Baby Jesus. Right? Um, and of course, they're good Asians. They've brought gifts for their visit. But really, it's an amazing moment um, for people who are so far outside. I think because of our current modern context, this doesn't really as much make sense to us. But if you can put yourself in first century Palestine as a good Jew, right, thinking about who are we supposed to be um, as the people of God. And some of the first people, well, really the first people. In Matthew's account, he doesn't, he doesn't have shepherds. The first people that come to worship Jesus are magi, right? Are foreigners, are people who don't believe the way we believe. It's revolutionary. What do we learn about God here? He brings those from far outside the covenant, shows them miracles, and gives them a sign in order to bring them near to him. This is our God, the one who goes to great lengths to bring outsiders to himself. As we continue to study the life of Jesus, he's baby Jesus here, but he grows up to be a man who brings the outsiders in, blesses those that people would consider outsiders. Um, in Matthew 5, in the Beatitudes, Jesus talks about how blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who are persecuted, all people you would put in the category of outsiders. Jesus' life is one where he breaks rules and brings in those who are outsiders. What a beautiful picture here we have in Matthew of the, our God who brings outsiders in at great, great lengths. I think about that in contrast with the chief priests and the teachers of the law here. They know the scriptures. They know where the Messiah is to be born. Right? They're, they're pretty quick about telling Herod, oh yeah, it's going to be here. They're supposed to be the ones who've been waiting for this Messiah. But they don't, they don't go to find him. Right? It doesn't say, oh, then the chief priest, they, uh, wouldn't you be excited? Hopefully you would think, right? Like, oh, we think the Messiah's been born. They don't go. They have academic knowledge, but it doesn't move them to act. Um, I was really struck by them in this, in this story. Um, our God is the God of outsiders, and sometimes those of us who already feel like insiders miss that. Right? We, miss, we miss the thing that maybe outsiders get. Um, so the Magi come and worship. Verse 12 says they're warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, and they return to their country by another route. Bethlehem to Jerusalem is about a 10-mile walk. Actually, to go home to where they would need to go, they, would, they should go through Jerusalem. That's where the main road is. But they take a huge detour to avoid Jerusalem, to avoid Herod, um, because they've been warned. Um, we didn't get a chance to read 13 through 18, um, so which I'm going to read to you now. It says... So the verse 12, having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. 
So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. and He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. The Christmas story is not exactly easy. There are really sobering parts to it, parts that they don't show on the Christmas peanut special, probably for good reason. Um, This part is really challenging for us, I think. Um, Joseph is warned in a dream by the angel of the Lord to escape to Egypt, so they flee to Egypt with baby Jesus. He's probably toddler Jesus by this time, and we all know how travel is with small children. It's not easy, and it's not easy when you're running for your life. Um, They escape to Egypt. At the time, there's probably a, a decent Jewish community in Egypt, but they're living in exile, right? Um, Herod realizes after a little while, okay, the Magi didn't come back through Jerusalem. I've been duped, right? They didn't do what I told them to do. I didn't tell him where to find the baby king. So in his anger, because he's, he was going to try and kill the baby king anyway, he finds out, you know, okay, we figure the baby king's probably under two. I'll just order all the boys under two to be killed, right? What terrible weeping must have occurred in Bethlehem that night. Um, Jesus came into a very broken world. Um, They're running for their lives. Dozens, maybe hundreds of Jewish boys killed. The Christmas story is not an easy one. Matthew here is drawing a contrast between our God, the good king, who brings outsiders in, contrasted with King Herod, who's wanting to keep his own kingdom, right? He wants to keep his own kingdom so bad that he's killed his own sons, killed a number of people. He's contrasting the good king, the true king, right? The one who comes the one who comes to bring outsiders in, the one who is the good king who calls us to live justly and to care for the least of these. We serve a good, good king. We serve a good, true king. And his call is often very, very countercultural. His call is often very difficult for us to live out. Maybe we're not Herod. I hope we're not, none of us is Herod here. But I think we can live out of that same self-protection, that same um, wanting to have my way that excludes, that excludes others. But first I want to say, for those who might be here today who feel far from our good king today, I want to say to you, God welcomes you. God welcomes all to come and be in relationship. Be welcomed in. 
The Magi were the ultimate outsiders, astrologers, foreign, not of the people of the covenant. And God went to great, great lengths to bring them to worship, to allow them to have a front seat at the incarnation. What a gift. So if you're feeling far, if you're feeling like an outsider, I just want to say to you, be welcomed in. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. Our good king welcomes you. Ask God what it might mean to worship him. Maybe you're afraid, um, but I want to say we have a good king. Ask him what it might mean to come closer. I think he'll answer you. This week, I couldn't let go of the chief priests and the, the teachers of the law, right, that they had this academic knowledge, that they knew a lot about the scriptures, and they didn't, they didn't act on it. Um, I think for me, as a young college student, that's who I was. I'd grown up in a lot of church. I'd been to some camps. I could point to scripture passage. But my heart was very far from God. I had a lot of academic knowledge. Um, but I felt like I already knew what Christianity was about, and I had found it a lot of rules, to be honest. That's what I felt like. Um, and it was in college that I felt like the Lord, at this one specific moment, what I later realized was the Lord said, hey, Christianity is more than you think it is. These people around you that you kind of want to mock, they know more about me than you do. Um, and I was scared. I was scared to want to come closer because I was like, well, I tried doing that. I wasn't a very good Christian. I'm not so sure I f how I feel about all these rules. Um, but I want to say, don't stay in the place of the chief priest or teacher of the law, if that's where you feel like you are today. Um, tell Jesus you want to come to him. Listen for his voice. Ask what that might look like. Um, I would especially encourage you to go get prayer ministry when that, there's offered, when that is offered. Um, because there's a, there's a way I think God wants you too, right? Even if you feel like you've been an insider for a while, but you feel far right now. Um, that you want something to go from academic knowledge to deeper. For those of us who maybe feel close to Jesus at this time, I do think there's a word in, it, in here for us too. Um, for those of us who are following Jesus, I think the challenge, there's two challenges in this passage. Um, to welcome others, both spiritually and very, very practically. Right? As we strive to follow God and model his love for people, we must look at our own hearts. Who do we see as outsiders spiritually? As so far outside of the people of God, whether by someone's beliefs or where they come from, or their socioeconomic background, or their lifestyle. I think there's probably people, whether it's individuals you know, or people groups you're thinking of, that we might think of as outsiders, spiritual outsiders. I'm going to give you a moment to see if you can see if a person or people come to mind for you. God allowed the Magi to see a star that led them to Jesus. I believe God has put you in the lives of outsiders in your school, your neighborhood, or your workplace that you might point them to Jesus. 
I want to exhort you this week when you think of the Magi to pray for this person or these people. Ask God how you might be a part of helping to welcome them into God's family. All right, people that you might think of as so far as, oh, I, they're never going to come to faith, right? Maybe those people are in your own family, I don't know. Uh, maybe those are people who are coworkers or neighbors. Um, I've been convicted recently to pray for one of my neighbors that, in my mind, feels very far. But then I am struck by the story of the Magi and what God did to bring outsiders in. So spiritually, welcoming people. And then there is practically welcoming people. I'm currently reading a book called The Making of Asian America by Erica Lee. It just came out this year, I think like two months ago. Um, it, it chronicles the story of people from Asia in America. And it is painfully, painfully clear in the book that for centuries, Asians were, and often still are, viewed as outsiders in America, right? Asian Americans from all backgrounds were viewed as less than, foreign, not to be trusted. Um, and to talk more about that would take a long time. And I, in the book, I haven't even gotten, I'm only like in the late 1800s still in the book. I haven't even gotten to Japanese American internment. I haven't even gotten to the Chinese Exclusion Act. Um, there's these, it's, it's very clear, right? My husband finished the book already um, and said, well, yes, this is really hard to read. He said, part of it, he's, he had a couple observations. One, I don't know whether I'm more angry about what happened or the fact that nobody ever told me about it, right? Or I didn't learn about this in school. He grew up in Arizona. There's, you know, whatever Asian American in history education there is here is probably much, much less there in Arizona. But he said, I don't know if I'm more mad that, that what happened or that I never learned about it. Like, it's helpful to read this. And then his other observation was, the arguments, the language, the rhetoric used against Asian Americans back then and maybe still now, are being used still now today, right? Against immigrants from Latin America, against refugees, against folks now that we might consider outsiders, against Muslims, right? He said, it's painfully clear reading this. You can just lift it straight out of history and into today. So I would ask, how does our following Jesus shape us here? Many of us maybe care about these issues already. Maybe you more think, I don't know. I'm not sure how my faith should really shape us here. But I would ask you, what happens when we see Jesus in the face of child refugees and Joseph and Mary in their parents? When we remember that Jesus, in his first two years, was carried to Egypt because they were running for their lives. What happens when we remember God's commands to welcome the stranger? He commanded the Israelites that over and over again in the Pentateuch, in his law to them. When we think about what Jesus' teaching says about loving others, welcoming others, welcoming the stranger, I speak to you not as one who's figured all this out, right, or figured out, like, here's the 10-step plan for what you should do. I can't, I, 
can't totally tell you that. But I know that we can't ignore this, right? The refugee crisis keeps building. Um, there's pieces of it when it's in the news and there's pieces where it drops out because there's other things happening too. Um, but as I've studied this passage this week, I just keep thinking about what happens if we see Jesus in the face of these refugees, if we see Mary and Joseph um, in the faces of strangers, in the faces of migrants and immigrants fleeing for their lives in many, many cases. I don't want us to be paralyzed by not knowing what to do, right? I, I think I can sit in that place sometimes, like, okay, I know I care about this. I'm not sure what the best thing is to do, so I'm just going to wait, right? And for me, where God has led me these past few months has been, okay, I can't just wait. One, I'm going to pray. So I haven't had a whole lot of free time the last couple of years with having a new baby, but I have had a lot of time to pray in the sense of nursing or trying to get her to go to sleep or nursing or trying to get her to go to sleep, trying to get her to go back to sleep, you know? There's times in that where I've just spent a lot of time praying. And that doesn't mean like I know super eloquent things to pray. It's just, God, you've given me what I need for my baby. Can you help us to know what it means to help provide others what they need for their kids, right? For where they're at. I'm just one person, I know, right? I'm not in politics. I'm not like a startup, like rich person. I don't know what you call those people, but I can pray, right? I can pray and care for my child and, and those things. I think on a systemic level, we can give money towards refugee funds. I would recommend the World Vision Syrian Refugee Fund if you're looking for one. Um, that's one of the places where we're planning to give some year-end gifts. We can tell our government leaders that we would want to welcome the outsiders. I think there's plenty of ways to be involved. What I don't want is for us to, to sit debating which one for too long, right? And, and then lead to inaction. Um, so maybe we won't find the best, most ultimate solution. I think our world's problems are probably more complicated than that. But we can do something. On a personal level, maybe it's building a new friendship with someone who might be more of an outsider to you, right? Um, for some, it might be learning about the history of our country, asking God for help about how we can change the ways our country responds, right? Asking God for forgiveness on behalf of our country for the ways we've often treated outsiders. Um, for many of us, the way our people have been treated. And working towards justice in the areas of race, in the areas of socioeconomics, in the areas of immigration. Um, I think we can also ask those others who are leading in this area, how can we help, right? Taking a posture of learning, right? Maybe we don't know what the like silver bullet answer is, but there are people who are working in this area that we can ask, what do you think we can do? What should we do? Um, Our God brings outsiders in. 
he is the good, true king. His kingdom is one where people live justly, where people welcome the outsider. It's not one where money is hoarded, where resources are hoarded, and some have and some don't. God's kingdom is different. And like I said, I don't know the ultimate path to get there, but I know that there are steps we can take. And I believe God is inviting us to take some of those steps as we follow him. We were all at one time outsiders, each of us, spiritually speaking. I would say, too, that we Americans were all at one time outsiders, unless you are Native American. And we've been invited in, spiritually, geographically. I'm so grateful to our good King Jesus, who we celebrate this time of year coming into the world, who welcomed us and many into his kingdom. I want to pray for us that we would live as ones forever changed by that, um, to be able to welcome others. So let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this account in Matthew, for the ways that your story, God, uh, being the one who brings in outsiders. That you give it so much space at the very beginning. So God, as we um, receive your word, um, receive your challenge, would you continue to bring to mind the pieces that we need to hear throughout today and this week, God? Ways that you want us to... Um, Welcome outsiders, God, both spiritually and physically. Very, very practically, God. Would you help us to know, myself included, God, how to continue to welcome those we might see as far outside of your kingdom spiritually, God, and those who are trying to find a better life physically, God. Would you help us to know what to do as we see you in the faces of refugees that we see on the news? Would your spirit speak powerfully to us? Would you help us to respond? That we could be a part of the story of welcoming outsiders, God, and not the story of Herod who excludes and pushes others out. God, we want to be a part of your welcome. So we say that to you, God, and ask you to do with us as you would. We want to bring to you our gifts. We want to bring to you what we have to offer and ask you to use it. God, I pray that for this church. I pray that for myself, too. God, we love you and we trust you. We pray this in your name. Amen.